Good day and welcome to the third episode of KPMG's AI in Control podcast series. My name is Samantha Glody and I'm a Managing Director in KPMG's advisory practice in the US. We've heard on our earlier podcasts about the risks and implications that artificial intelligence and machine learning are introducing, as well as how governance is a key factor to establishing trust. In our most recent podcast, we covered the concept of digitization of governance and what is happening in the marketplace as it relates to monitoring AI. For today's discussion, we would like to focus on looking at the policies and actions needed for AI to drive desired outcomes and benefits in organizations while building and maintaining trust. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues, Todd Law, KPMG Digital Lighthouse Network Leader, KPMG in the US, Tracy Gusher, Innovation and Enterprise Solutions Artificial Intelligence Lead, KPMG in the US, and Professor Sander Klaus, DNA Leader for KPMG in the Netherlands and Professor at the University of Amsterdam. Welcome and thank you for joining us. So let's start with Todd. What are the biggest pitfalls or things to watch out for as it relates to implementing ethical AI within the enterprise? That's a great question, Sam. Let me maybe start by talking a little bit about the broader market of adoption for artificial intelligence, which is really what is leading to some of the pitfalls we're seeing in the marketplace. Based on some recent research that we've done, we're actually seeing AI adoption really starting to take hold in the last 12 to 18 months. We're seeing a pretty big shift from what was more experimental before to really starting to apply that technology in very real use cases across the enterprise. And as such, more and more companies driving the adoption coupled with the rapid exponential change in the technology and the capabilities is creating this wave of implementation that is then in return really causing some of the challenges in organizations or the pitfalls rather of understanding what to do with the technology and how to stay out in front of it. The bigger challenges organizations are having is really understanding where all the technology is being applied within a very large organization in many instances and staying out in front of it as far as the governance and the use of it, especially from an ethical perspective. So putting in the boundaries and the guardrails in advance of the adoption of the technology and it's being exacerbated by the fact that it's happening so quickly in the market that companies aren't able to stay out in front of it. Great. Thanks, Todd. So my next question is directed to Tracy and Sander. What should we expect in terms of legislation and regulation of AI? Tracy, maybe let's start with you and you can talk about the US. We're already seeing early signs of the types of recommendations that eventually will lead to legislation. If you look at the OECD's recommendations on responsible AI, as well as things we've seen coming out of the World Economic Forum, there's already a lot of discussion about what responsible AI looks like. With these types of guidelines in place, it's only a matter of time before they turn to legislation. And in fact, we're already starting to see early signs of that. There's been a lot of talk recently about the House putting together legislation to regulate facial recognition. While it's only talk right now, I think it's quickly going to become something more formalized. The other thing I think that is interesting to recognize as it relates to legislation is we actually recently did a study across five industries asking a number of different questions related to artificial intelligence implementation. And one of the questions that we asked was what the organizations and enterprises that we spoke to, what their position was on governmental legislation of AI. Would they welcome it? Would they not welcome it? Did they believe it was needed? And what was most interesting was that not only did organizations indicate that they thought it was needed, 
but there were several different industries that indicated that they believed government should be regulating it and that they were actually anxious to get it. And I think that that's an interesting type of perspective to put on all of this is that frequently a lot of industries that are heavily regulated or are under pending regulation are some ways fighting it and not wanting it. And in this case, many of the industries that we talked to were actually saying they wanted clear guidance and regulation around artificial intelligence. And I think it's a it's a great indicator of what's to come. And I think it's also an indicator of the amount of investment enterprises are putting into AI. They're saying, I want legislation around this. I want to be told how I'm supposed to do this and where I'm supposed to do this so that I don't spend a lot of money investing in it only to be told later that I can't use it or that I can't use it for the applications I want to. Those are some of my early thoughts. And I know there's a lot going around the world in this same topic and, and particularly in Europe that, that maybe Sandra wants to comment on. Yeah, it's always interesting uh, to see when talking about regulation how the U.S. and Europe take a different approach. I think the U.S. typically is way more entrepreneurial than, than Europe is. And then uh, regulation comes in as soon as things tend to go wrong. And, and then you try to use regulation actually to correct for things. Where in Europe, we tend to take a more risk-averse approach where we first start thinking about what kind of regulations we want. And only after we've thought carefully about regulations, then the entrepreneurial spirit comes in. It's a fairly different approach that the two continents take, I think, related to regulation. We, of course, had around privacy already the general data protection uh, regulation introduced, which is mainly about privacy, but there's actually already quite a few hooks in there related to algorithms and ethical use of algorithms as well. For example, there is the right to get explanations. Algorithms actually were involved in decision-making that affects you personally. So we already have our first hooks related to regulations. And now with the new European Commission, you see that regulations around artificial intelligence are actually becoming mainstream discussion. So there is strong incentive in Europe to actually discuss how to implement the acceptance of artificial intelligence and basically how it impacts the autonomy of citizens in the European Union on a fundamental foundation in place to make sure that basic human rights are respected. And on top of that, actually, you see that all of the countries have also their own initiatives. So in the Netherlands, for example, there's already discussions of putting regulations in place that make it obligatory for every public organization, government organization, to report on what types of artificial intelligence and what type of algorithms, in a broader sense, they are using and how these algorithms are impacting decision-making and also what the impact is in case that algorithm, what the likelihood is that an algorithm would make a wrong decision. So, yeah, there's quite a few initiatives in Europe related to regulations. It's one of our unique selling points, if you want, from a European perspective in relation to the development of AI. Great. Thanks, both of you. I think they're really interesting perspectives on what's happening in the US and in Europe. Following that, what actions should organisations take to get ahead of these forthcoming AI regulations? Looking at the way that organisations are at the moment dealing with artificial intelligence, you see that one of the steps that the larger organisations are almost all considering is how to deal with risk management. In order to be able to do risk management, you need to look at 
similar risk management procedures in other domains. Of course, there's already quite a, a bit of risk management going on in these larger organizations, but they typically do not deal with the digital aspects or the algorithmic aspects in the organization, which is interesting because for a large fraction, risk management around algorithms and around AI would use similar processes, I would think. I would still expect, for example, to have three lines of defense in your organization around artificial intelligence. I would still expect that you have independent verification of your algorithms. And I think that there's many more analogies. Probably the main difference is actually that algorithms are developed in an agile fashion, whereas other risk domains, for example, financial risk, typically are more bureaucratic processes. It's easier to have separation of duties you have these more bureaucratic processes than you have in an agile environment. So you get a much closer collaboration between first, second, and third line of defense if you want to do risk management around artificial intelligence. Only if you have proper risk management, you actually have the reporting structure in place to also make sure that you can comply with AI regulations. Great. Thanks, Sander. Tracy, do you have anything to add to that? I think Sander's spot on. The things that I think about when I'm talking with organizations about governing their AI and putting controls in place around their AI, on the governance front, I talk a lot about these guidelines that are out there. So if you look at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development's Guidelines for Responsible AI, they have some clear guidance on what you should be considering in order to have responsible AI, to have it governed. And I think those are some leading indicators of the types of things organizations should be thinking about. More practically, what I'm seeing on the ground is organizations are creating governance committees that look at things like, where should I be using AI? How do I measure the AI so that from an, an organizational perspective, I'm responsibly spending dollars on AI on use cases that are feasible and that are going to tie to my strategic benefits? Typical types of governance programs. And then on the control side of it, it's really about how are we putting the AI together? Who is putting it together? What types of controls are in place? What type of testing, back testing, and other types of validation are in place to ensure that it's been put together responsibly? And that's at a more procedural level. And I think the combination of both the procedural level types of tactical things being done as AI is created combined with overall governance is really what we're seeing start to move pretty rapidly. Thanks, Tracy. So I understand that we often discuss with clients the need for an AI compass to ensure integrity, transparency, and trust. Todd, can you describe how this all works? So let me start maybe a little bit with the analogy of the compass itself. Much like we have a map to give you the overall positioning of the compass as a way to interpret that I see the same thing happening with the overall corporate values, corporate mission, strategy, regulatory environment. So that is the map. So organizations need to use the map that they have today, which is their corporate vision statements, all of those things that define their own ethos and culture within their organization, and then really be deliberate in how they take the compass specific to AI to be able to navigate that map. Most organizations, if not all, already have documented standards on what they deem as ethics aspects around how they define their culture. So it's really taking those defined topical areas and then using it from an AI lens to say, okay, how am I creating artificial intelligence? What does it mean to each of those different pillars in our organization? And how do I navigate the decisions in advance and create structures and guardrails around those, as well as how do I continue to execute against that into the future? 
Sandra, can you talk to us about what an ethical governance framework looks like? The way Todd just described it, the compass is really a good analogy. In the end, what is really important is to understand what the impact of failure and the likelihood of failure is for each and every algorithm. And that will guide you in terms of cost of control. So if an algorithm is a really high impact when it fails or the likelihood of failure is really large, then you need different measures than if it is a simple algorithm that doesn't make too much of a difference in case it occasionally produces a wrong result. I think in that sense, you really need some guidance there to make sure that you're investing in the right aspects. The ethical framework is part of a broader risk management approach for AI applications, but one of the key elements, I think, is how do you explain what the algorithm is actually doing. That's still under investigation. We are doing active research, actually, at the University of Amsterdam to understand what types of explanation work in what kind of situations, and also for different kinds of artificial intelligence, you have different levels of explainability. We are still trying to ensure that we understand all the aspects of that. If I'm the subject of an AI decision, so I'm affected by the AI decision, then typically I'm only interested in an explanation if the decision was negative for me. If I get the positive decisions, usually I don't care about the explanation. If it is a negative decision, then all I want to know is how do I make sure that next time I get such a decision, it's positive. So that's just one type of explanation. That's a very different type of explanation as I would give to another data scientist or to an auditor that wants to understand how an algorithm works. In that case, you really want to explain the technical details. What kind of algorithm did you use? What type of data? How did you do the training? How did you do the validation? All kinds of technical aspects you want to make sure that are explained properly. A lot like peer review is done in the scientific world. So if I want to get my article published, then typically a peer review is done and all technical elements of that article are questioned by the reviewer and need proper answers. Uh, so that's a second type of explanation. And the third type of explanation is far more about the process. So what kind of controls did you put in place to make sure that the algorithm will not fail or if it fails that you actually detect the failure and can respond properly? And that's the kind of explanation you probably need when such an algorithm would be part of a court decision, for example. All of these elements are to be taken into consideration when you are thinking about the ethical governance framework that you put around these algorithms. How do you fill in all these different elements? So, Todd, what can organizations do to mitigate bias from their own AI algorithms? The biggest thing organizations can do is really just be deliberate in how they're thinking about developing the algorithm before they get started, while they're building the algorithm, and as they actually deploy and use it over time. In, in all three of those points, organizations need to be thinking about what is the defined purpose and goal of use? How does that fit into the compass, as we've discussed earlier? During the development, make sure that they're thinking about their data sets and that those are being applied correctly to limit the impact of bias understand the folks that are doing that number of organizations, both in the development and in the ongoing use and governance over the algorithms are applying different committees with different views and then looking at the algorithm itself and the outcomes of those algorithms and stacking that against the intended purpose of them and looking specifically at bias. There are also other ways you can actually test bias with AI. There are other more advanced ways to look at 
ensuring integrity throughout the process using technology. One of the things that I know we just released was a patent where KPMG is looking at using blockchain to ensure data integrity that goes into the artificial intelligence algorithms as another way to mitigate some of the noise or that bias as well. A lot of different ways to do it, but really it's just about being deliberate and thinking about how the algorithm is going to be used and its intended use and then being able to test it and understand that it's actually being used as such. Okay, great. Thanks, Todd. And Sander, one more theme in this regard. So what would you say to organisations when they ask how to define FAIR? What does FAIR look like? So FAIR is often positioned as an abstract term, but actually, fundamentally, we know quite well what we mean with FAIR. First of all, you need to understand that no algorithm is flawless. Every algorithm makes mistakes. What is FAIR in terms of mistakes? It's that the probability of a mistake is the same for every group that actually is subject to the decision of that algorithm. For example, if males and females both request loans at a bank, then the error rates of misassigning these loans should be the same for males and females. That's how FAIR is typically defined. Fundamentally, it's quite clear. The problems are more practical because if you want to understand the error rate, then you also need to know what your ground truth is, what really is uh, the appropriate group to provide that loan to. And that becomes much harder because, first of all, if somebody is going to pay back a loan is depending on a lot of different variables. Knowing beforehand if that's the case or not is a challenge. You could say, okay, for the loans that are provided, you can just simply count how often it's paid back and not so you know how often you were wrong but then you're still left with the loans that you did not provide. So people ask for a loan, you declined it. How often did you decline it wrongly? That's a very hard number to find out. Although fundamentally, the definition is quite straightforward. In practice, you find out that there is a lot of difficulties to actually get these numbers and make sure that your algorithm is compliant with your definition of fairness. And then I'm not talking about additional complications that we have in Europe because we are not even allowed to register the data that would distinguish between the separate groups. So if we cannot distinguish the separate groups, we can also not train our algorithm to make sure that these error rates are the same for all groups. There's a lot of technical details that make this a fairly hard problem to solve. So Tracy, how should organisations who may be struggling to get trust with their stakeholders, how should they approach this? Trust is an interesting thing because for so long, what we've relied on to make decisions within the enterprise is gut and experience. And AI sometimes doesn't necessarily line up with your gut instinct or what your experience tells you. Trust is something that can be hard to come by when it comes to trusting AI. There's a couple of things I think organizations can be instilling in the way that they're building and deploying their AI that can help build trust. And at the root of this is transparency. Transparency in such that stakeholders and employees know where AI is being used. Don't hide the AI. Let it be known. Let it be known what it's doing. Transparency in how it was built. How were domain and industry experts involved in training the AI so that they can trust that experience from professionals with relevant experience have been incorporated in, in the AI being built and transparency in what the AI is saying and in testing it. So if you're going to make decisions on AI or even before you're starting to make decisions on AI, being transparent enough to say this is where it was right and this is where it ended up being wrong. Hindsight's 2020, even in AI. 
I think that transparency across the board is something that is key to building trust within an organization. Great. So thanks, Todd, Tracy, and Sandra for a very insightful discussion today. And thanks to everyone for listening. Be sure to join us for our next podcast episode.